The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 149. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, The Nagus. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Quark. I mean, Dom. Howdy. That was really good. Really good. I like that. (laughs) Folks, remember to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community of listeners. And we're having a great time here on The Secrets of Star Trek. And you want to have others join us and have. That great time with us. So, yes, we are talking about the this first season uh, episode of the Nagus. It's the 10th episode of the first season of Deep Space Nine. Uh, here's a quick recap uh, of the wait, episode. Wait, wait, wait. This is the 10th episode already? Inconceivable. <laughs> oh, you stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> the uh, Zek, who is the Grand Nagus of the Ferengi Alliance and the, the, the leader of Ferengi, Arrives at Deep Space Nine and takes well. This... Te- technically, Emperor Palpatine arrives on Deep <laughs> <Yeah>. Space Nine. <laughs> yes, in, a, in the hood uh, with his uh, big, uh, massive uh, uh, valet. Valet, yes, yep. that's the word. And he comes to Quark, tells him, "I want to use." First, he tells him, "I want to use your bar for a conference." Where, when they have this conference, and all of these big Frangi businessmen show up. Uh, he announces that Quark is going to be his He's retiring, and Quark is going to be his successor as Grand Nagus, and hands over. He abdicates and hands over the role to Quark. Quark that well, and then Nagus dies. The Nagus mm-hmm. dies, which apparently makes Quark's appointment permanent. And he chose Quark because the bar is on the edge of the wormhole, and the Gamma Quadrant is the new uh, opportunity for all of Ferengi. And Quark had the foresight. To- to establish an outpost right on the edge of this wormhole before he even knew it was there, so therefore he must be brilliant. Quark has a hard time adjusting to being the new Nagus. Uh, he's he, he's at first he feels like he's very popular among these other Ferengi businessmen, and then he realizes they're all angling to take him out and take his position, and he gets kind of uh, uh, weirded out by it. Meanwhile, Zek's son cracks, who thought he was going to be the next Nagus, and Quark's brother Rom. Uh, create this plot to kill Quark and replace him. Uh, but they are stopped by Zek, who appears alive, uh, and it was all a ruse in order to show up that Cracks, the son, was in fact not ready to become Nagus. And so he, was, he basically used Quark to, uh, to call it his son. It was a test. Mm-hmm. It was a test. And Zek says, you failed miserably. Uh, meanwhile, Quark con- congratulates Rom. too. Oh, thank you. Quark congratulates Rom for having the lobes to try to kill him, and uh, so so he doesn't have any hard feelings there. 
the B plot of the episode is Cisco is trying to deal with the friendship between Jake and Nog. And mm-hmm. uh, he, there's apparently something, and I want to kind of get into this a little bit, apparently something going on with that Nog is pulling Jake into some plot or thing that is causing Jake to not come home before curfew and other things like that. And there, he will only tell Cisco to only tell his dad that they're doing something in private. And when Cisco goes and snoops, he finds out that what what's happening is that Jake is teaching Nog to read because Nog is mm-hmm. having trouble learning to read. And it, very nice uh, little upending of expectations there. So that's the 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 uh, recap of the episode. We can get into the stuff as we go, but I do want to point out that this is the first major. Ferengi-focused episode mm-hmm. of DS9. Mm-hmm. And, it's and the it first introduces one... a, a key concept for the Ferengi going forward, which is the Office of the Nagus. Right. Yes. Played, uh, played a... in, in by the convertible Wallace. The inconvertible Wallace. I like that. Yes, it's inconceivable that he would inconce- be so It's inconceivable <laughs> that anybody... That was the joke I was going to say. It's inconceivable that anybody could play this role other than Wallace Shawn. Yes. Of course, was it, in Princess it, Bride and many, many, many other things. Just he's one of those yeah. fantastic comedic actors and yes. uh, plays this role so well. And this is really the first of all Star Trek first episode that makes the Frangi sympathetic. Yeah, more than just the the little rats you see in the first episode, which of course also include Armin Shimmerman and TNG. Yeah, but you know it, it's the first. It really gives the Frangi their own personality. And make some, you know, a character you might actually like. Right. It gives their culture it, something to, to yeah. be, something to build on, yeah. It starts to. There's still a lot of stuff about the really negative Ferengi characterization in this. Mm-hmm. Like when they're having their meeting mm-hmm. to discuss the future prospects, they, they, the, the big thing is they've ruined their reputations in the Alpha Quadrant by being unscrupulous businessmen. And they put that down to the lies of their adversaries. Right. But then their and their plan is now we're going to go into the gamma quadrant where our reputations are untarnished and and it'll be just like the old days we'll be able to sucker all these people. Mm-hmm. And they really are coming across pretty negatively to right. me in right. in this scene. But we are on the road we're very far down the road to redeeming their culture yeah. with, right. for Star Trek with this episode. Also, this episode has something else that is unprecedented and unique and precious. We get to hear Morn laugh. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. It's one of the few times we hear Morn make a noise. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's talking all the time. You just can't shut him up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of the best recurring <laughs> gags in, in Deep Space Nine is that this this bit about Morn, who we never see talk, but apparently never shuts up. So I, I like that. It's interesting, speaking of the Nagus, as played by Wallace Shawn, it's interesting to see how similar he is to what he will be once Moogie becomes Mm -hmm. Uh part of his life. Because he's actually already doing things that, I mean, he's he he admits, I'm not as greedy as I used to be. You know, I'm getting old. And he is, he's looking out for... The good of the Ferengi Empire. He realizes his son cracks, who we never hear about again. Yes, he disappears. It is not is likely not ready and needs to be tested. So mm-hmm. he is not just say, "Oh, my son, here, take the empire." 
Yeah. So he is looking out for the good of the empire. He is looking at retiring. And all of those things, he, he is willing to hand it over, the, the Ferengi commer- commercial empire, to someone in Quark's bar. Right. And all those things stay in place all the way down to the the final episode. But they take mm-hmm. on a new cast once Moogie becomes his advisor rather than Cracks. It's interesting. This episode creates this, it's the first in an arc we could say of several episodes of DS Nine, where we follow Ferengi politics. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. it goes throughout the whole thing where which not Quark who ends up as Nagus, but Rom of all yeah. characters. Which is interesting to see how Rom's plans eventually come to fruition. And this movement into Ferengi business into the Gamma Quadrant is what and eventually brings them into contact with the Dominion, and so. If you think about it, the Ferengi are vital to the entire story arc of Deep Space Nine <laughs> going the way it does. It's kind of interesting uh, yeah. to, to think about. I was going to say, you mentioned Rom, too, and you know this is where he's starting to get more of a character instead of just being Nog's dad and the barkeep. You know? yeah. He's starting to it, actually get more of a, a character and a personality, and we get to see him start to develop a little bit. Well, and it changes his personality. I mean, originally, yeah. the, the, the Rom we saw was just a, a regular Ferengi. He wasn't mm-hmm. kind of goofy like this. And, and we eventually get the kind-hearted Nog. But, you know, at least in this one, we get a little more. They're playing off him being the dumb younger brother uh, bit. Ooh, maybe he isn't quite so dumb. He just doesn't think the same way. Exactly. Uh, that co- character is actually the, has its genesis here, that, that mm-hmm. bit of his character. So that, that was interesting as well. Although um, here he's more like what Frito Cordelioni, yeah. Well, that's an important point to to bring up. By the way, is that this episode was written as a kind of homage to The Godfather. In fact, there's one scene where <laughs> Quark is in his uh, quarters. I mean, he's it's an homage to that opening scene of The Godfather, where uh, Quark's uh, sitting um, at his down. desk. He's got this creature that he's petting. Uh, he's he even like scratches his ear the way Vito Corleone does, and there's uh there are blinds on the windows behind him, and like even the dialogue. Yet now you call me Nagus. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, it's all connections back to to the Godfather, which is really a, was very fun. And in fact, originally as the story was conceived, it wasn't all of Ferengi. It was just going to be all the heads of the various crime syndicates of the Alpha and Beta Quadrant. Coming Including together, Vulcans, right? Vulcan crime syndicate. It yeah. must be logical. Uh, but uh, it, it's very interesting that they then said, "No, let's develop the 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 Ferengi. Make this a Ferengi thing." And I, I'm, you know, we're all better off for it because it was a great yeah. story. I, I would love though to see the head of the Vulcan crime syndicate. You know, after after repeated studies and analyses, we have concluded <laughs> with Sigma Six statistical <laughs> significance that crime does pay. Yes. Well, <laughs> be great. well we, we know they steal homework because after all they stole nog's homework yes yes, yes, yes. yes yeah yeah no, that you know i i do want to get to the, the that b plot because that is an interesting we'll come back to the the Ferengi, but uh is you now that you mention it so uh mrs o'brien keiko o'brien is away on earth for for a couple of weeks and so she started the school on the station and Miles O'Brien is having to be substitute teacher because he doesn't have enough to do as head of engineering for this this ra- you know clackety rap trap of a station that the Kardashians <laughs> left them, uh, and so he's trying to teach school, 
And Nog, like they have this essay that was due and Nog makes an excuse that his homework got stolen by some some Vulcans. And he pulls Jake into his lie. And mm-hmm. Jake, very, very put out by having to lie for him, but backs him up anyway. You know, it's very clear. O'Brien isn't buying, of course, but he kind of yeah. lets it slide a bit. It goes. By the way, to, note, yeah. notice on the on the uh, on the lighted blackboard equivalent behind O'Brien, we have the aliens from Cat's Paw from yes. the original series, as well as Tribbles. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. That was that was fun. What I like in this sequence is after Captain Cisco comes to the school and the kids have left. He's talking with O'Brien, and they both have. They're both parents. And they're talking about uh, the influence that parents do and don't have over their children's choice of friends, which is a real concern for parents. And Mm -hmm. I like seeing that real-world concern brought into the show and handled in a realistic way, where Cisco is not happy about the fact that Jake is friends with Nog. He thinks he's going to be a bad influence, which... He was in the, earlier in this sequence. He got mm-hmm. Jake to lie for him. And Cisco is concerned about Nog being a bad influence. But on the other hand, he's not just laying down the law and saying you can't see him. He's trying to be understanding and reasonable in part because he probably knows if he tries to crack down too hard, it'll backfire. Right. Uh, especially on a small station. It's not like Jake's never going to see Nog. Right. 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 It, it, they, and it, what I find interesting is this. They're very. They're kind of actually speciesist. That the O'Brien and, mm-hmm. and Cisco kind of agree that Ferengis and humans just cannot get along. Like you know, that's just not something that that will work out. And this is they kind of have decided that Nog is just going to be a bad influence. I don't think it's speciesist. I think it's culturalist. Mm-hmm. Okay, be- and yeah. that comes out more in the dinner conversation between Cisco and Jake, where. Uh, he the the concern and the reason that Ferengis and humans haven't been able to get, get along well in the past is because of their values right. are different, and so I think it's I think they're they're recognizing a cultural disconnect. It's not like they're being racist, and it's That's it's true. interesting seeing that with Cisco of all people because he very much through Avery Brooks Brooks's own portrayal and everything. Very much is this, you know, tolerant, open, you know, all cultures, all peoples, except Ferengi. And well, that, that yeah. actually is an arc they play throughout the whole series as well. I mean, it, yeah. you see. On the other hand, he he was the one that insisted Quark stay right. on the yep. station. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's all played to the end where he's, you know, Jake is missing. He's going, you know, has, hasn't shown up. He's going to go get Jake. and. It's Jake's, his his own, Jake's way of not seeing Nog as this Ferengi and this Ferengi stereotype, but seeing him mm-hmm. as a friend and wanting to help him, that helps Cisco kind of overcome a little bit his own bias right. against the Ferengi, or at least some Ferengi, and eventually mm-hmm. allows Nog to become a Starfleet officer. <laughs> Nog goes native, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and his pride. Like, I, like, mm-hmm. I love that at the end, that Cisco's pride in his son we also see the difficulty that cisco has continued in being a single dad and a, yep. you know commander of the station i like that they continue to play that that's that's really good now at one point uh the nagus gets finds out that rom is going to school the federation school and uh, i'm sorry is nog is going to the federation school and raw rom 
tells forbids Nog from going to that school. And there's this bias against schooling. And I'm thinking, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we kind of had – there's several kind of aspects to this. So Zach, the Nagus, learns that Nog is going to school because Nog is waiting on them at dinner and mm-hmm. doesn't want to be waiting on them. It's like, can I please go do my homework? Homework? Why are you doing homework? Yeah. And it's because he's going to this school run by a human female. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear from what the – and the Negus is very displeased, and Rom instantly forbids Nog to ever go to the school again in a very overdramatic, overhyped fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not clear from this scene whether the problem is it's a school or it's run by a human, or it's because uh, they say it's a federation school, so it's going to be teaching federation values. Mm-hmm. And is it the federation values, or is it the fact it's a female, or is it all of those? Right. And it makes no sense for the Ferengis not to value education. I mean, absolutely none. If you're a businessman and you don't, you, you don't, you're not educated. Your yeah. business plan is not going to be well designed. Right. The more you know, I mean, knowledge is power. The more you know, the better you can run your business and the more you can acquire. So it makes no sense for for the uh, Ferengis to have a problem with education. So I thought, based on this scene, okay, well, it's the Federation values and the fact it's a female mm-hmm. that's the teacher. But then it turns out Nog can't read. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, What? I mean, I assume he can count. I assume he's got numeracy if he's handling money mm-hmm. and doing ledgers and keeping two sets of books, as every good Ferengi does. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, you know, and, and really, you're going to need to be able to read as part of not You're going to need to not just have numbers in your ledgers. You're going to need to have alpha characters in there, too. Mm -hmm. to be able to write what the numbers are about. So you need to put, you know, I received 16 uh, cases of syrup of squill. (laughs) And you need to be able to write syrup of squill. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense that Nog can't read or that they don't value education in general. I wonder if it's Nog can't read because he's got a learning disability as opposed to, uh, that they just don't value reading. So I think that nice maybe- head cannon, but they don't suggest that. Yeah, to I, us. I don't. Th- I don't right. remember any point where they say that he he can't learn. Obviously, he can because he goes on to you know uh, the right Starfleet uh, Academy. But I just, I guess, I took it where the way the, that since Ferengi are businessmen and it's you know capitalism writ large, it's the idea of you go and be an apprentice is how you learn. It's right. not a formal school. It's you go learn a you know learn from someone else who's doing the same business you want to go into, type mm-hmm. of deal. And maybe the the can't read is he can't read Federation standard, also known as English. That's perhaps perhaps also they, nice head canon, but they've got <laughs> universal translators. Well, but, but the point is they're they're reading Federation standard, and that's the part that he's having trouble reading. It doesn't say that he can't read Ferengi. That's so. true. That's true. I mean, it's it's, it, it's it's a concept that they, they put out there, but they didn't develop close enough to make it clear what they're talking about. I, I, I really do think that it, it's clear that it's not that he's going to, that's not that he's not, or that he's learning, it's that he's learning human stuff from a female about Federation values. I think all okay. three of those were 
I, I think you're both being very generous to the writers. I think the writers just didn't think this through. They wanted to portray <laughs> the backwardness <laughs> of Ferengi culture and the superiority yeah. of Federation culture and made it unreasonably appear that Federation, that Ferengi don't value education in principle, including right. reading and writing. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the, what they wanted was to have it end up with Jake teaching Nog how to read. Yeah. And that's the, that's their primary thing. So, yeah, I get that. So another thing that shows up for the first time in this episode is the rules of acquisition. Mm -hmm. um, and we get the first two rules mentioned. The first rule is once you have their money, you never give it back. And yep. the sixth rule is never let family stand in the way of opportunity, which are two things that sort of are operative in this episode, right? Like in, in one sense, uh, Quark has to give back not money, but, but essentially a opportunity for money by giving back the you know the role of Nagus to, to Zach at the end of it, but also Rom's opportunity to advance and get what he wants by knocking off Quark, which is interesting. Also interesting that when Rom gets caught trying to kill Quark, th that uh, Odo doesn't press charges or anything, that there's no consequences. Yeah, we had attempted murder on his station, and, <laughs> and nobody... <laughs> No, this this is another flaw in the writing. Also, Rom, as he's later developed, would never do this. Yeah, this is completely out of character for the later tender-hearted Rom, and yeah. so this is just early bad writing that you know is entertaining in context, but doesn't fit with where we're going to end up going. Well, I was going to say that the never let family stand in the way of opportunity is probably ends up being the most broken of all the rules yes. of acquisition throughout the year. <laughs> it has been pointed out, yes. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, I think, let's see what else. Um, I wanted to mention that Mayhardu, I think it's Mayhardu, Mayhardu, played by uh, an actor whose stage name is Tiny Ron, which is ironic, mm -hmm. a, a yep. former basketball player who is seven feet tall, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. He's in seven episodes of DS9, and I don't think he ever does. He say one word at no. the very end. You don't think he I, ever I, says a word. I don't think he, he. I don't think he ever speaks. I love later when we have uh, Liquidator Brunt as yep. as Nagus, and he's got his own uh, valet from the same species. And I love the way Mayhardu and the other actor playing the other valet are. You see this quiet tension between them, like they're <laughs> they're loyal to their Nagus, and they yep. therefore don't like each other. Right, exactly. right, yeah, those, yeah. I I always enjoy seeing him there, and it's very similar to the. Oh, I love Mayhardu. Oh yeah, this, <laughs> he's awesome. Um, what was that? A Troy, um, Loxana Troy also has a mute servant who serves her. Uh, he does he, speak, Mr. Hom. Yep. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. He eventually like, says, nice drinks. Yep. That, that must or be what I was thinking of, where, where he eventually speaks. Yeah, it was, it was must exactly. be Mr. Hom. Awesome. Uh, and uh, by the way, Tiny Ron is also shows up in Voyager as a Herogen uh, mm -hmm. alpha, that, mm -hmm. so, which is interesting. And he does get lines in that one, so you do actually get mm. to hear his voice. Um, so what, uh, anything else to say about this episode? Anything I missed there, uh, Father Corey? Um, just one thing is you can tell Ferengi ships, uh, air seals aren't very airtight since core or since, uh, uh, Odo can morph through one of them. He's able <laughs> yeah. to turn the to airlock. his, yeah, airlock. Yeah. He's able to warp, you know, uh, chip shift himself into the, the, the ship using through the airlock. So they must've bought really cheap seals for their airlocks. <laughs> right. 
but but that that was that was that was a good scene where uh you know Odo goes and he finds out oh wait he's actually still alive huh interesting where, right you know, the, yeah where he's the one that figures out that Zek is still alive and then uh, Zek when he died quote unquote he died of a tympanic membrane inflammation also known <laughs> as an inflammation of the eardrum yes <laughs> he had an earache that he died of. Well, yep. you know, and I love the fact that for uh, Ferengi, it's always like references to their ears. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have the lobes, you, you know, you, 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 if you, a, a fatal earache, the, all these things, I think it's just really kind of funny. It's, it's one of those funny quirks, Qu- quirks, not quirks, quirks <laughs> of the species. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jimmy, anything left to say about this episode? So May Hardu serves as a taster for the mm-hmm. Nagus early mm-hmm. on in this, and that really makes no sense in the age of scans, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like the way the reputation problem is handled because it, it's played for comedy and it's it's too broad, and it, the comedy is too broad, and, and the logic is bad. I mean, mm-hmm. these people should be focusing on why is our reputation bad and how can we fix it? Because the problem will just replicate in the Gamma Quadrant. And they're mm-hmm. wrong that uh, our reputations will be sterling. No, they won't. Your mm-hmm. reputations will be none until yeah. you start establishing contact. It's like a person who's never taken anything out on credit. They have no credit rating. Right. And so if you've never done business with someone, they're not going to automatically trust you and assume your word is good. You're from some foreign culture that has who knows what values compared to Gamma Quadrant values. You're going to have to prove yourself as mm-hmm. a biz- as new businessmen in this quadrant. So you can't just assume your reputation is going to be good there. It's going to be non-existent there until you establish it. And you're not the only ones going through the wormhole. So right. uh, so the people in the Gamma Quadrant are going to be saying, hey, human, what do you know about these Ferengi? Are they good to do business with? They really want our business. And the humans are going to say, oh, don't trust them. So your reputation is going to be poisoned immediately. <laughs> so right. this, this makes no sense, and it's played for overbroad comedy, and I don't like that. If I just add a point to that too, and it doesn't make sense for them to be offended that they have a bad reputation because they also, in the same episode, talk about greed is good. Like, hey, having a bad reputation is good, and not just that greed is good, but they'll take our words until we decide to break them. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Yeah, you know, and they're laughing about the fact they break their word, and so I did. I didn't like that sequence after Zek pretends to die. And it's apparently a meditation technique that Mehardu taught him. Mm-hmm. He they then have his desiccated remains, which is mm-hmm. another concept that gets introduced and will play a role in the future when Quark thinks he's dying and signs a contract to sell his desiccated remains. Yep. And interestingly, they're green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but while they're at Zek's funeral with the where they're selling the desiccated remains. And, and for people who haven't seen this, it's like some green powder that's in a clear circular handheld glass case mm-hmm. or plastic case. So they're selling these at the funeral. And then there's a drone strike on Quark to take him out. Mm-hmm. And we later learned that Rom and Crax were behind the drone strike. But Odo, and this is another writing limitation from the early to mid-1990s, 
Odo reasons, well, the two logical suspects would be Crax, who wanted to be Nagus, and Grawl, who had already threatened Quark. But it couldn't have been either one of them who sent the drone, because neither they were both at the funeral, and therefore neither one of them could have pressed a button on his phone to summon the drone. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, they're not realizing, they're not, the writers are not thinking through the implications of remote control technology. I mean, mm-hmm. he, the phone thing is mine, but today you would not rule out a person from summoning a drone just because he wasn't at a funeral. Right. Uh, you, even if you're at the funeral, you just surreptitiously bring out your iPhone and you press the button to summon the drone to attack the target. That's mm-hmm. totally doable. I suppose they, like, if, if, I mean, I was thinking at the time, I was thinking they couldn't have done it because who would be dumb enough to be there when the bomb went off? Except this is a very targeted explosion. It 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 didn't kill Quark, and he only ducked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if 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 a bomb is strong enough to to kill everybody at the funeral, that would be an argument. But this bomb was not. Yeah, yeah. So that's true. And then we have Quark. At the so the plot to get rid of Quark after the drone strike fails is they're going to trick him into going to meet with non-existent representatives from the Gamma Quadrant and get him into an airlock and space him. And they get him in the airlock, and they're ready to space him, and they're almost going to... Rom, in fact, is about mm-hmm. to push the button to space him when Zek shows up with Odo and announces he's actually alive, really. And... I find it so I I can never see airlocks these days without thinking this through and Quark actually does something that's pretty good here. He gets close to the right. inner surface of the airlock mm-hmm. and he's beating on it and saying let me out and stuff, but he's standing where he should be. Mm-hmm. Because if you're standing close to the inner airlock door, there's not very much air in front of you and therefore you will not experience much pushback when the outer airlock door opens. Also, this airlock is so small that I don't think he'd be blown out anyway if he just held on to something. Right. But airlocks should have internal emergency opens. Yes, you should (laughs) not be able to. If you're you're trapped in an airlock, there should be a panic button to let you back in that should not be overwritable from the inside. Well, right. There should also be a simple switch on the airlock that, hey, there's no ship here. Do not allow this system to open to the yeah. outside space. Right, right. Yeah, that's the, 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 the design, the sci-fi design of airlocks leaves a lot to be desired <laughs> for safety's sake. But those are my comments. Awesome. Uh, I think that should do it for, our, for this time. That was a good episode. I, I enjoyed yeah. doing that a lot. Oh, it's yeah. Like one of my one of the best first season episodes, I think. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. Now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor to support all our shows, including this one, which makes your gift go even further. We are so very close to reaching our goal of $2,000 in new monthly pledges. Uh, we need that to reach that goal in order to have some 
new uh, resources for projects that we're working on, like new shows, a new website. So won't you help us close that gap? Get us over the line. We really appreciate it. If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Don't wait. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. Also, I'd like to thank Victor Lambs for editing the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of Deep Space Nine's episode, The Nagus? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode, Scorpion Part 2. This is the fourth season premiere and the follow-on from our last Voyager episode we discussed, so Scorpion Part 2. Until then... Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you. Live long and prosper. And Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, you don't grab power, you accumulate it quietly without anyone noticing.